when you think about a relationship between God and people, what one word would you use to describe the God side of beginning and maintaining a relationship with people? From God's perspective, what is the one biblical word that describes his side of beginning and maintaining a relationship with human people? And then flip it around. How about the word description of the human side of beginning and maintaining a relationship with God? What would that one word be? Submit to you my answers, drawing from one verse in the Bible that is a proclamation of the Bible message from start to finish. For by grace are ye saved through faith. On the Godward side, beginning and maintaining relationship with human people, grace. On the human side, Beginning and maintaining a relationship with God, faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. The Bible proclaims that God, by grace, provides people with forgiveness of sins and eternity in heaven with him through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Jesus died for us, was buried. And rose again the third day. People, by faith, receive the forgiveness and new life that God offers through Jesus. It is not of us at all. It is all of Him. If you have believed in Jesus for salvation... The Bible declares God saved you. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. What? Thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. And so if you've believed, God has saved you. If you've not believed, the death and resurrection of Jesus for salvation from your sins, understand today that he alone can provide forgiveness for your sin in eternity in heaven with him. Believe him. But many of you, both here in this auditorium and those watching by way of the internet, say that you have believed Jesus Christ. You've trusted his death in your place and his resurrection for your salvation. What do you think about, about it for just a few minutes this morning? 
The word of God declares the perfect life of Jesus. His death on a cross where he became our sin and received God's wrath and his resurrection from the grave. Think about it. He rose from the dead. You believe. But does that mean your faith is perfect? Several months ago, I had a conversation with an individual who questioned if they'd even ever been saved. They had a profession of, of salvation, but they were struggling with whether or not they were truly saved, and here was the basis of their struggle. They expressed to me there are times when I struggle to completely believe God. My faith isn't perfect. They sometimes struggle with doubts. Do you? Are there times in your life when you ever struggle with doubts? About faith, pastor and author Paul David Tripp penned the words. Faith is simply never natural for us. We aren't born with faith in God. We don't come out of the womb ready to acknowledge his existence, worship him for his glory, and submit to his rules. We tend to live by sight, by personal experience, collective research, or by good old intuition. But faith isn't natural. It's natural to give yourself to wonderment about mysteries in your life you'll never solve. It's natural to imagine where you'll be in 10 or 20 years. It's natural to wonder why someone else's life has turned out so vastly different from yours. It's natural to panic at moments. Wondering if God really does exist, and if he does, if he hears your prayers. But putting your entire existence in the hands of one whom you cannot see, touch, or hear is far from natural. That is why faith is only ever a gift of divine grace. You and I have all the power in the world to doubt and no independent power at all to believe. Do you remember... We read about it a few minutes ago earlier in the service. That following Jesus' resurrection from the tomb, he appeared to his disciples. I mean, when the women came who, who had gone to the tomb early that morning, had, had heard from an angel that Jesus rose from the grave. And remember, Matthew's gospel doesn't tell us about, about this specifically, but as they made their way back, to the disciples, Jesus appeared to them as they were going. And so they got back and they told the disciples, we've seen an angel. We saw Jesus. He rose from the grave. And what does the Bible tell us about the disciples' response to them? Y'all are crazy. Right? You're silly. You're foolish. You're seeing things. But then Jesus appeared to ten of the disciples. One of them wasn't there. 
And when that one returned, they all said, Hey, we've seen Jesus. And that one said, No, I I don't believe, nor will I believe, unless I see him for myself, unless I touch the the scars, unless I thrust my hand into the side where, where the spear was thrust in. What do we often call that one? Say it. Go ahead. Doubting Thomas, right? You know, I think we give Thomas a bad rap. I think we do. I think we give him a little bit of a bad rap. Here's why I say we read in Matthew 28 earlier, didn't we? Jesus had already appeared to all of the disciples. And look, if you would, again at what the Bible tells us in Matthew 28. He had already appeared to all of the disciples. He told them, go to Galilee, I'm going to meet you there. And notice Matthew 28, verse 17 says, and... Okay, so they see him. They what? Worshipped him. Okay, okay, look at this. They've seen Jesus already previously, that that he was risen. They saw him alive. He told them, go to Galilee. I'm going to see you there. He appears to them there. They see him. They begin to worship him. And some of them what? Some of them what? Go ahead. Some of them what? Doubted. Does that seem a little crazy to you? They've seen him before. They see him again. They're worshiping him. And some of them are to hesitate to to be cautious about going all in they see him they're worshiping him is this real is this really happening they doubted they saw him they worshiped him they doubted We're in Luke chapter 7 this morning as we are going through Luke verse by verse. You say, Pastor, what does that all have to do with Luke 7? Well, here, the passage we're looking at today, we have a pre-crucifixion and pre-resurrection example of doubting. Follow along as I begin in Luke 7 verse number 18. The Bible declares this, and the disciples of John showed him all these things. Okay, so so what are we talking about here? Jesus has been working miracles. He's been teaching. If you remember over the past couple of chapters, he healed the paralytic man after he declared that man's sins forgiven, and the Pharisees begin to antagonize Jesus. We've talked about this. Jesus goes on from there, and he preaches that sermon on the plain the kingdom agenda of god the implications of the rule of jesus in your life from there he comes back to capernaum Uh, the centurion sends messengers to jesus jesus heals his servant at a distance he doesn't even go to the house and yet heals the servant he goes to nain and he heals that widow's son of death (laughs) he raises him to life and that passage concludes and transitions into the passage we see today with this thought and the disciples of john showed him these things john who john the baptist 
John the Baptist is currently sitting in prison. He's in Herod's dungeon after he offended Herod and his, his wife for their, what the Bible would call adultery. She had divorced Herod's brother and now come and married him. It's a, it's a messed up family situation. And John came and preached the law of God to them, and they are offended, and in their authority, they put him in prison. And John, for months, is sitting in Herod's dungeon. There, as he sits there, the disciples of John still have some access to him, and they're coming to him with news of what Jesus is doing, news of what Jesus is teaching, how he's preaching, how he's doing these miracles. Well, let's continue reading. And John, calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Notice what John asks. Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, so these disciples now come to Jesus, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he. Whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now keep up with what's going on here. John the Baptist, who boldly proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God, come to take away the sin. John the Baptist, who said, I am not even worthy to get down and to unloose his sandals. John the Baptist who declared he must increase, I must decrease. That John experienced his own battle with doubt. He was not alone either. You go through the Bible, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, Paul, among others had their own experiences with doubt. Today, as we look at Luke chapter 7, I want to help you with your doubts. Or to understand better how to respond to others who have doubts. Rather than stepping away when you experience doubt, draw near you can actually grow closer to God and deeper in your faith even as you experience and work through doubt. Now let's make something very clear. Biblically, doubt and unbelief are not the same thing. Warren Wearsby described it this way, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why he is doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. 
Oswald Chambers added this, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. And so if you ever find yourself dealing with doubt, here are some actions you can take that, that come right out of the text. Number one is this. I encourage you to get these down. Ask the hard questions. Ask the hard questions. Think about John the Baptist for a moment. He seemed to know his place in God's redemptive plan, didn't he? John the Baptist had a very specific and unique place and purpose in God's redemptive plan. His life prophesied Testament. John the Baptist, at times as he was preaching, gave evidence to the truth that he understood his place in God's redemptive plan. Even when Pharisees came from Jerusalem after they heard about this wild man preaching out in the wilderness, they asked John the Baptist, Are you he that should come? Are you the Messiah we're waiting for? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he went on. That wasn't just some neat analogy that John came up with. That was Old Testament prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. John the Baptist understood his place in God's redemptive plan. He recognized that God put him on the earth at a specific time for a specific reason to pave the way for the Messiah. But now, for months, He's been languishing in a prison for doing what he was sent to do. Doesn't it seem, from what is revealed in Luke 7, that John is struggling a little bit? He's having a hard time. His disciples regularly came to him to tell him about what Jesus was doing, but something wasn't right. Is it possible that he, like many, had misunderstandings in the true purpose of the Messiah? That's possible, isn't it? Is it possible that even if John had a perfect understanding about the purpose of the Messiah, that he grew so weary of languishing in a dungeon, his emotions and mental state were just off? I mean, can I ask you, when life doesn't go exactly the way you picture it to go, when your day doesn't work out, and that continues for a week, a month, a year, do you start to get a little off? Your emotions get out of whack. Your thinking is off. Whatever the situation, John is struggling and these disciples of his that are coming and telling all this stuff Jesus is doing. I mean, Jesus has just raised someone from the dead. And verse 18 says, And the disciples of John came and told him about what Jesus did. I, I, I can imagine they're telling, Hey, John, Jesus healed a paralytic man. Hey, John, Jesus did this. Jesus taught these things. Listen to his message, John. And then, John, you're not going to believe this. From a distance, Jesus healed a centurion's servant. And then, John, if that wasn't enough, we went to Nain, and there was a, a funeral 
Action coming out, and Jesus stopped everything. He put his hand up on the buyer, the body, and he said, Arise! And that dead guy sat up and he talked. I mean, this is incredible stuff. But John is struggling so much. Hey guys, when you go back, ask Jesus for me. Are you really the one? He's struggling. I, I, I have to ask, though. Did John really question if Jesus was the one? Or did he struggle to justify the situation with his belief in Jesus? Pastor, what do you mean by that? Isn't that a place where can creep in for you? I imagine if I said, um, here are some questions to ask yourself. Is God good? Do you believe that? I would imagine likely everyone in here this morning would say yes. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus as the Savior. You believe God is good and he does good. You believe God providentially rules over all things for you good and his glory but then some things happen in your life struggle to connect what you believe about God with what is actually taking place in your life the questions come and with those questions doubts is God real does he really love me? Is he hearing me? We ask questions like this when we're in that place. And then what follows that? Panic. Panic over the answers to the questions and panic that we're even asking the questions. Right? How can I be thinking? That I know this is true. How can I be thinking that I believe in God? How can I be wondering about that I believe in Jesus? How can I even have that thought in my heart? I believe God is good and he only does good. We panic over those questions that come. But let me encourage you. Don't panic. Ask the hard questions. Do you think that your questions scare or intimidate God? Ask the hard questions. You know, there's a biblical example of this. The book of Psalms starts off so strong, doesn't it? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and so on. But then as you read the Psalms, you know what you find? You find a lot of questions. I mean, just even listen to some of the openings of some of the Psalms. Uh, psalm 2, right after that big start in Psalm 1, Psalm 2 starts off with a question, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. Uh, listen, if you would, to, to the opening of Psalm 10. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself from me? Psalm 13, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? 
How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, it's a messianic psalm prophecy of the Messiah, but it was also true of something going on in David's life. And that happens again and again in the Psalms. Friends, when you struggle with doubt, don't panic. Ask the hard questions. Number two, talk about it. In his effort to get a message to Jesus, John, by necessity, had to share his struggle with two of his disciples, right? He called two of his disciples. These are guys he's teaching. They've probably heard him say, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They've probably heard him say, hey, guys, there's coming a day. He's the one you're going to follow. But now this one who's teaching them has to say to them, go talk to Jesus and ask him for me, are you really the one? He had to talk about it. Psalm 73 is a, has been a fascinating psalm to me for years. In Psalm 73, Asaph, who was the worship leader, essentially. He was the worship pastor for the tabernacle under King David. And in Psalm 73, Asaph expressed some of his doubts. He shared about how he was struggling. And that when he went through them, he even said this. He said, I don't feel like I can share this with anyone lest I offend them. A few months back, I read an article written for pastors. And the title of the article was some number of things. I don't know if it was five or seven or ten, but it was something like that. Five things that pastors can't do. And I was interested when one of the things on the list was pastors can't talk about their doubts, their struggles. And he used Psalm 73 in that part of the passage where Asaph talked about not being able, feeling like he couldn't talk to anybody about it because he might offend somebody. And this thought struck me. The person writing that article has missed something entirely. It's in the Bible. At the time, Asaph felt like he couldn't share his doubts, his struggles with anybody, and yet the Holy Spirit of God moved Asaph to pen it into the Word of God for everybody to read and see throughout history. You think when you post something on Facebook, it's never going away? When Asaph writes in the Word of God, I struggled with some doubts, it ain't going anywhere. And we can all see it and read about it. I want you to understand this for a moment. Listen to this statement, don't miss it. Doubts multiply in the darkness, but they are overcome in the light. Doubts multiply in darkness, but they are overcome in light. If you're struggling with doubts, it is, it's of Satan 
that you're tempted to keep it to yourself and not talk about it. It's of the devil that you keep in the darkness. Don't keep it in the dark. Talk about your doubts. Talk to God about them. Talk to trusted spiritual mentors, accountability partners, or godly friends. True friends will provide a safe space of grace for you to talk about your doubts. If you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard about struggles that I had last summer. Well, as I was going through some struggles and and doubt, Stephanie made plans for us to go and spend some time with good friends who are in the ministry with the hopes that I would open up and talk to my friend, share the story with them. And as I went into that situation, I, I was embarrassed to do so. I was ashamed to admit that there were some struggles and doubts that I had. But I opened up and I shared those with him. Part of my, my nervousness, embarrassment, my shame was, how is he going to respond? Here, here's a guy I've known for years. He's in the ministry like I'm in the ministry. How is he going to respond if, if I share with him these things that I'm going through? And you know what? He didn't rebuke me. He wasn't shocked. How dare you? Rather, he loved me, he related to me, and he encouraged me in the Lord. And can I share with you this morning, my healing began not when, when all the physical symptoms were, were answered and done away with. My healing began with bringing issues into the light that thrived in darkness. If you're dealing with doubt, they will only multiply in the dark. Bring them into the light. Talk about them. And can I say for all of this family, what do I mean by that? Our church family. Friends, we should practice being a safe space of grace for people to ask their questions and share their doubts and struggles. If our response to those things is anything other than a safe space of grace, then we are not doing what God wants us to do. We need to be a place where people can talk about them, and that's what I'm committed to for you. Number three, not only ask the hard questions and talk about it, number three, turn your eyes to what he is doing. Did you notice as we read verses 21 to 23 when John's disciples come and they ask this of Jesus, that Jesus doesn't directly answer their question? Does he? Hey, John sent us to you to ask, are you the one? What we don't read is, and Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, I am the one. Go tell John. Is that what happens? No. What happens? In that same hour. Now, I don't think that this means this. I don't think that it means they came and asked the question and Jesus was like, watch this, guys, and did a bunch of miracles. I think Jesus was already doing miracles. There's a crowd there. Jesus is healing people. They come, they ask the question. Jesus just keeps doing his ministry, and then he speaks to them. 
says, okay, go tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are made to walk, the dead are risen from the dead, risen to life, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Go tell John. Do you find anything fascinating about that? Look at verse 18 again. What had John's disciples already been doing? They'd already been telling him that stuff, right? I mean, is it true? They've already been telling him what Jesus is doing and teaching. And yet John says, go ask Jesus if he's really the one. Hey, Jesus, John, are you really the one? Go tell him what you've already been telling him. <laughs> right? Jesus does. Now, there are some connections here to Old Testament prophets. Things like the Old Testament prophets said the promised one would do. Isaiah 61, Isaiah 32 or 34 it is, among others, the, the promised one is going to do works like these, both during his first coming and later on when he comes back. These are the things the promised one of God is going to do. But I have to ask the question, why did Jesus answer this way? They've already been telling him what Jesus is doing and saying. Jesus says, go tell him what I'm doing and saying. Why? Often, our doubts stem from and are exasperated by what we don't see God doing. Think about that. And I, I think if you'll think about it, you'll find that that's true in your life. You believe God. You believe Jesus is Savior. You believe he's good and does good. You believe he providentially rules over all things for your good and his glory. You believe these things, but then things happen in your life, and you're praying about them, and they don't change. You're going through some struggles, and you keep going through them. You're crying out to God, you're praying to God, and you hope when I wake up tomorrow it'll all be done and over and gone, and you wake up tomorrow and it's not done over and gone. It might have even gotten worse. What is the root of your doubts? You're not looking at what God is doing, are you? You're looking at what God is not doing. John is languishing in the dungeon for months for doing what God sent him to do. I don't know that I believe that John thought that this is how it was going to turn out. I don't think I believe that John thought he was going to serve God in his redemptive plan the way he knew he should and that he was going to end up in dun the dungeon and stay in the dungeon until they took his head off. I, I don't think John thought that at all. I think John thought all of this was going to end up very differently. I think he thought God was going to do something different. And he was struggling with doubt because he was focused on what God wasn't doing. 
Because that same passage that Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61 said that he would, he would cause the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, but it also said that he would proclaim liberty to the captives. What was John? He was a captive, a prisoner. He hadn't been set free from a physical dungeon. I have to wonder if John thought that. Whatever the case, he was focused on what God wasn't doing. Can I share something transparently with you? Often the most discouragement I experience as a pastor is what I look at and see what God is not doing. Well, God, you didn't do this this Sunday. In the middle of the week, I, I prayed for that person this specific way, and God, you didn't do it. Often that's the most discouragement I face as a pastor, what I look at and see God isn't doing. And I have to believe, if you think about it, you'll find that many of your doubts and struggles with God relate to what God isn't doing. But what did Jesus tell John to do? Don't focus on what God isn't doing. Focus on what God is doing. Do you remember what the 121st Psalm says? It's one we quote often. Psalm 121 verse 1 begins with this. I will lift up what? Mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And then what does the psalmist say? My help cometh from the Lord, which what? Made heaven and earth. What? What? Do you think that the problem in the psalmist's life at the time was that he needed God to make heaven and earth? You say, Pastor, that's silly. Well, why would he say this? Because in the midst of his struggle, he wanted to turn his attention from what God wasn't doing to what God had done or what God is doing. The fact that the Lord made heaven and earth did not address the psalmist's problem specifically, his immediate situation, but recognizing the works of the Lord encouraged him. Your doubts may be related to what God is not doing in your life. Stop focusing on what God isn't doing and turn your eyes to what he is doing. By the way, even if it is in the life of someone else. When, John, when Jesus told the disciples of John, go back and tell them these things, was Jesus doing those things specifically in John's life? No. But he was doing it in the lives of others. And he told John, stop focusing on what I'm not doing, what I'm not doing in your life. Start looking at what I am doing and rejoice in that. Friends, when you're struggling with doubts, turn your eyes to what he is doing. Rejoice in the victories God is winning. You might still be going through a struggle. You might still have some doubts. But stop focusing on what God isn't doing and look at what he is doing. Number four, reflect on who you are in Christ. We've not read in Luke 7 verses 24 through 28 yet, but I want to this morning. So look with me, Luke 7, verses 24 through 28. And when the messengers of John were departed, he, Jesus, began to speak unto the people concerning John. 
What went ye out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Essentially what Jesus is saying is this. Did you go to see a guy preaching a popular message who, who blows with the wind? Did you go to see a guy who, who was fashionable, soft clothing, things that were worn only by nobility and kings of the day? No. What did you go out to see? And the answer comes in the next verse. You went out to see a prophet. Someone speaking the word of God on God's behalf. And, but then Jesus says at the end of verse 26, I say unto you much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, verse 28, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Then Jesus says something incredible. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's never been a prophet greater than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater even than he. That's quite a statement. What does that have to do for, for us when we're struggling with doubts? There, there are two parts of the encouragement I want you to see. First... Would you notice that John's doubts did not change Jesus' testimony about him? I think this is amazing. Don't you? John struggled with doubts. And Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't chastise him. Jesus didn't say, well, John... Before I heard that, you ranked up here, but now that I hear that, you rank down here. Did he? Nope. John's doubts didn't change anything about Jesus' testimony about him. He was God's prophet in place for a specific time and purpose. Jesus commended him even as he struggled with doubts. I think that's amazing. But then... Notice this. If you know Jesus is your Savior, Jesus put you on a higher plane even than John the Baptist. Now, I, don't leave church today and go out of here going, I'm better than John the Baptist. Just want you all to know, that's how God sees me. Boom! No, don't do that. Don't go stand on a street corner in Rocky Mount today. Don't go through the drive through lane and tell the, the cashier when they take your order, hey, I just want you to know I'm better than John the Baptist. No, that's not the point. What Jesus' statement means is simply, it's about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. Old Testament versus New Testament. John the Baptist was a prophet in, in an old covenant dispensation. But if you're, if you're a child of God, a part of his family, part of the kingdom of God, you're, you're under that new covenant. You're set in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You're, you're a child of God in a way that that the old covenant saints couldn't understand or contemplate. You are in Christ. 
So here's how that helps. When you struggle with doubts, be encouraged through reflecting on who you are in Christ and what that means for your life. You might be struggling with some things. You might be asking some questions. You might be going through some doubts. That does not change anything about who you are in Jesus Christ. When you're going through those times, remind yourself, if you know Jesus Christ, child of God. The Bible tells me, Revelation chapter 1, I am a king and a priest. The Bible tells me I am a peculiar people, a, a special treasure in God's eyes. Like Israel of the Old Covenant, the church, the believer of the New Covenant, is the apple of his eye, his special treasure and possession. I am a child of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am born again by the Spirit of God. When you're struggling with those questions and doubts, just remember who you are in Jesus. And then fifthly, and finally, and the tone changes slightly. Okay, bigly. I don't know if that's a word or not. The tone changes, but it's important. Beware a willful, unbelieving response to Jesus. Notice what happens when Jesus says this. The Bible says this in, verses, in verse 29. And all the people that heard him, and the public. I mean, who earlier in Luke we see the Pharisees calling the tax collectors and sinners. Those people justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. What's the Bible telling us there? They believed. They heard the word of God and they responded. But then in verse number 30, it says this. But the Pharisees and lawyers, what? Rejected the counsel of God. Notice the next two words, too. Against themselves. Friends, can I tell you this morning, when you reject God, it doesn't hurt God. It hurts you. God is grieved, yes. But you're the one who's hurt. And so though you may struggle with doubts, here is the battle that we need to fight and, and face and by God's grace and help win. Don't allow your doubts to develop and progress into a willful, unbelieving response. Hebrews warns about this. Hebrews chapter 2 and then into 3 and 4. Warns us over and over, don't allow yourself to develop an evil heart of unbelief, not trusting God. Doubt can ask questions. Doubt can struggle. But doubt can be overcome. Willful unbelief is dangerous. And so, even as you struggle with doubts, ask the hard questions. Talk about it. Doubt multiplies in the darkness, but, but is overcome in the light. 
Reflect on who you are in Jesus. Turn your eyes to what he is doing, but beware of willful unbelief. You can continue reading through verse 35 where Jesus gives these illustrations about that. And what Jesus is ultimately preaching is that it's not doubt so much as willful unbelief that we should beware. Jesus looked at a group of people who responded differently to him, but those who willfully chose not to believe, they were the ones who were rebuked. Do not choose willfully to not believe. Don't continue in that place. And if you've been there, receive and believe God, his word, his son. And so for you who are followers of Christ, when you struggle with doubts, rather than stepping away, draw near where you can, even as you experience doubt, grow closer to God and deeper in your faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he is the Savior who alone can forgive you of your sin and secure eternity in heaven for you. Repent of your sin, turning from your sin and your, your past belief in whatever to faith in Christ who died for your sins, was buried and rose again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? This morning, as we reflect for a few moments on the message, in just a moment, the pianist will begin playing, but I want you to think for just a couple of moments. If, if we're all honest, transparent, I believe we would all have to admit that there are times, have been times, that we have dealt with doubts, where we've struggled with doubts. Is there help for us? Yes, there is. Even think about the example of John that we've seen today. God's word gives us help. How can we can respond to our doubts, even growing closer to God and deeper in our faith.